Welcome to the College Crypto Podcast, where we teach crypto in a no-nonsense way to give you an edge on what's coming in the digital economy. Here, we provide answers to the questions you've always wanted to ask and explain how and why crypto is taking the world by storm. My name is Hunter, and joining me is my fellow podcast co-hosts, Yolan and Eamon. Let's get right into it. Why are we making College Crypto? Eamon, can you run us through that? So the biggest thing for college crypto, I'd say, is that we really want to educate and make it nice and simple because so many times you hear in the media that crypto is a scam, everything's a scam, and everyone has no idea what it's going on about. So we really want to educate from the ground up, pretend you've only seen maybe a TikTok about crypto and you're vaguely interested and you want to learn more. So this is what we're here about. You don't need any prerequisite knowledge, but week over week over week, we'll get more and more complex over time. Alain, did you have anything to add? I think there's really a lack of resources out there at the moment that can explain that to everyday people, uh, including like college students like ourselves. Um, and and we, we really wanted to help fill that gap. Yeah, for sure. I reckon um, we should give a brief introduction about ourselves. Um, I'm Hunter, uh, probably whoever's listening now already know me, but I might go into a little bit about what I'm studying. So I'm currently doing engineering, although not taking any engineering subjects. I'm a college student. And in terms of investing, I got inve- involved in investing a year ago. Um, I was first in mining companies, lifting mining companies. I made a little bit of money um, and I found it really interesting how I can get passive income by taking the money that I'm in the bank that wouldn't normally make me any extra profit and put it to work essentially. And that led me into buy now, pay later companies. So like zip and afterpay. And I ended up losing a bit of money on that, but pretty much I came to college and I met Eamon here and he introduced me to the entire world of crypto and the digital uh, finance system that is helping to shape in um, the whole web 3.0 movement, which we'll get into. And yeah, I've been in it ever since and I've loved it. I think the entire ecosystem in general, there's a lot to take out of it for everyone. Uh, there's this a bit of portrayal of crypto that we hope to debunk in terms of it's just speculation and trading of assets, but it's a really interesting space. I've lost a bit of money, but I'm definitely here for the long run. And it's very interesting. Yulan, run us through. Why are you in crypto? And tell us about yourself. I'm in third year. I studied a PHP science, which is this like research degree where I do research projects in different aspects of science, like um, neuroscience or immunology or synthetic biology. I got into investing probably halfway through last year. So I was really bored during lockdown. I was thinking of something to learn, something to do. Um, So I started off learning your typical Warren Buffett playbook Peter Lynch's um, going through value investing, then went into like growth stocks. So invest in Afterpay and Tesla, made a decent chunk of money there. Um, but I got into the crypto game fairly late. Um, part of the reason was that I didn't feel I understood anything computer science related. So you know, I, I, knew, I, I knew a bit about how to code, but it was never like a big thing for me. Um, but it really started to change uh, after I met Eamon and I started to learn about basically what was going on beyond Bitcoin. So that there's, there was this, I had this misconception that crypto was just currency. So like cryptocurrency, right? And it's just an alternative to money. But uh, I found out it was much, much more interesting than that. And Eamon, t- tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, before I talk about myself, I just want to like add to what Hunter said. He said that I love being crypto. I just want to mention that it's currently Monday. On Wednesday, he was not crying, but 
not very happy over his tw- measly 20% loss overnight. So I just want to say... A little boo-boo just, action. A little boo-boo action. I'm not going to say I wasn't sad. I just want to say that Hunter was sad too. So it's not all um, sunshine and rainbows, just saying. But, um, and I've definitely experienced a great variety of things because I first got in it at the full-on peak of the 2017 bull run, which as many of you know, went from $1,000 to I think it just went over $21,000 Bitcoin. So I bought it at the peak when I was like 14, 15. I put in my 50 euro and I woke up the next morning. I was like, wow, I have 25 euro. I lost 25 euro overnight, um, which sounds really dumb. But when you think about it in my head, I was like, wait, if I just lost 25 euro overnight, then surely I could also make 25 euro overnight. Like if I actually like knew what I was doing. So that really got me interested in the space. And of course, I didn't actually make any money for like the first two, three, three years, I guess. Um, I was put some money aside from like coaching and working that I put in. Um, and then I had quite the experience in, I think it was April, May, when we had the huge run up. And of course, I was in a good chunk of profit purely because I just got in early 2018, 2019. And you can say that I kind of had the hunter experience on Wednesday, but to a much greater extent than 20%. Um, well, let's just say um, you, didn't, you didn't share me any, I, I know what you, how much you lost, but in terms of just keeping the financial details a little vague here, it was probably more than my parents making two years of income um, and, and working a full-time job. So it was a substantial amount. And it went in perspective, Eamon's pain he experienced is uh, probably a lot larger than I've exp- yet to experience. So, anyways, so basically, go ahead. instead of paying for a college degree, I paid for my crypto degree because I've just, you know, lost everything overnight but that's okay you live and you learn and you start from scratch so let's just say i'm a newbie and i started in may basically it's how it really runs but um yeah awesome amen hey, um tell because you you've been in this game for a while now so you, you started in uh, 2017 um how would you describe your perspective back then when you first started versus what you know now back then all i knew was from headlines like i i didn't read any Reddit, any subreddit. So I didn't go into any Discord groups or just follow anyone on Twitter. All I did, I literally just read like Fox News or any other news outlet and just read what they were saying, which clearly is very biased. Um, and they were very one-sided, which is totally fair. Like as a news outlet, you want to be able to, they show like the majority kind of perspective and opinion. You don't want to go too far out there, for example. So I really had no idea what I was getting into. It was more of a speculative investment. I didn't actually understand the technology at all. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but I think that's really changed over time, for example, like now, if you go on Twitter, the amount of awesome content I get just from Twitter, like technical analysis, fundamental analysis, on-chain analysis, which are basically all these different ways of valuing different cryptocurrencies and different technologies and, and technologies in the space. They weren't there at the time, but now they are just because there's so many people that are interested. So the space is really growing from what I'm seeing, like not only the technology side, but also the social aspect and the amount of information that's available. Yeah, for sure. And let's just maybe run into a little bit of the use case of Bitcoin, because of course, like the general perception that I've seen, and I thought for a long time was, okay, this is essentially just gambling. And, you know, people trying to use a bunch of different modeling, which is essentially technical analysis to make sure that gambling is in their favors. And that was kind of my perspective. But now you see a lot of macro uses of Bitcoin and crypto. And I think a lot of mainstream media, as you covered on a little bit, are moving towards, you know, giving some crypto oriented content and shedding a little bit of light on the use cases of this amazing technology. Um, do you want to talk maybe about inflation and a little bit, a little bit about that? 
Yeah, I can add a little bit about inflation because, of course, it's my favorite pastime. I'm not too sure why I didn't study economics at school because I, I feel like I'm really interested in the space. But anyway, the idea with inflation is that if, the, if you think the US government, all they're doing is they're just printing more and more money, which if you think about it, let's say you're at a school playground and there's, I don't know, you and your mates, there's like 10 of you, and each one of you have a Pokemon card. So there's 10 of you, each one of you have 10 Pokemon cards. So of course, like they're all basically the same. Let's say they're the same Pokemon card. Now let's say that the next day, one of your friends suddenly has a hundred Pokemon cards and everyone else still has one Pokemon card. Suddenly, because your friend has all of the Pokemon cards, all of yours aren't worth as much purely because like he has basically all of them. So that is kind of the same metaphor you can put in with inflation is that if the US government, they're printing all this money to get themselves out of debt from what's happened last year. Instead, all of the people that hold the US dollar, which is basically all US citizens and countries like Puerto Rico and what used to be El Salvador, not anymore though, their US dollar is being worth less and less and less over time. So that's a simple thing about inflation. We'll definitely cover it another, um, another time more in depth. That's the biggest idea, I think. Yeah, for sure. And it's just kind of like, you know, we've got this sort of centralized, like a big part of crypto is decentralization. And we've got this centralized entity, which is World Bank, et cetera. And they're just able to, you know, make more money just out of thin air without any ramifications or costs. Um, you mentioned El Salvador. Uh, Yulan, do you, do you have anything to say on that? The, this is very interesting what's going on there. Yeah, well, I think there's so many nations around the world where there, aren't a, there isn't a stable currency. Like we, we, in Australia and in developed countries generally, we kind of, we have some faith in our currency. Um, we, we don't expect the currency to, to just crash in value like in, in a few days time. Um, but in many countries, that's not the case. So uh, one solution, which is what El Salvador had been doing was just using the US dollar, which is an issue because you don't actually have, you're kind of relying on a foreign power to control the supply of your, your own currency. And then over 2020, we had the, the central bank basically print 25% of all US dollars in a single year. Imagine that, 25%. Um, and, that, and that's, that's going to... 25% like, of the total circulating supply. Yeah, that's right. right. Far out, okay. That's a lot of printers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so it, it, I think it makes a lot of sense for El Salvador to be looking at alternatives like Bitcoin. Because with Bitcoin, um, in the future, like 100 years from now, there will only be 21 million Bitcoin in existence. Um, currently, we're about 19 and a half million Bitcoin. So really the, the, the supply is not gonna increase much further. And it's what they call a deflationary currency where you can't just keep printing an infinite supply of money. So it's yeah. exactly the opposite of the US dollar. Instead of like the Fed, which is basically the, the treasury, it's, instead of just printing dollars because they can, because they want to, and because they wanna feel nice and powerful. Instead, if you go back to the Pokemon example, if your friend that still, let's say he has a hundred Pokemon cards and you'll have one Pokemon card, Instead, what Bitcoin is going to do is that it actually burns, let's just assume, one Pokemon card every single week. So slowly, slowly, there'll be less and less and less cards. So the few that are remaining are actually worth more value over time, which is the idea with Bitcoin. That's the idea with a deflationary currency. If you have less supply, but the demand is basically the same, then the price tends to increase. Of course, not financial advice. Don't do that. I lost all my money in one night. But yeah, for sure. Uh, that's worth keeping. And just building on that a little bit, I think beyond that entire deflationary, inflationary, money printing, print-to-go-burr scheme, there's something beyond that. And that's, 
you know, El Salvador, a lot of people move over there because it's a poor country. They move to these, you know, better economies of the United States, of the European Union, of Australia. And they've left their families back in El Salvador and they work over with doing these laborious jobs in the United States, et cetera. And they send that money back. And one of the huge problems with doing that is to, in order to send money back, you have to go through an intermediate, you know, you have to go through a bank, you have to go through Visa and pretty much what these private companies and these entities are able to do is they take a huge cut of these funds. And so if I have a thousand dollars, you know, Eamon was telling us the other day in our signal group chat, you know, he tried to send money to a mate in Poland and he sent a hundred USD and Visa took 10, 10 USD. That's like 10%. Now imagine you're, you know, a, a 30 year old guy and you've got, you know, a big family in El Salvador, your family's back in El Salvador and you're working your nuts off, you know, you're, you're slaving away, you know, your nine to five or 9am to 9pm trying to make a ton of money. And you send this money back to your family and all of a sudden, you know, 10% of that work was essentially for nothing because this big, you know, corporation like Visa, they didn't do anything. There's essentially, sure, they did do something and that was transfer the funds, but they didn't do any physical labor. They just took a cut of your hard-earned money. And so something that's interesting is El Salvador, Eamon mentioned this before, is they were on the US currency and, and Yulan, you mentioned it too. And now they've moved to cryptocurrencies. And what this is able to do is essentially bypass these big cuts. So Bitcoin, what's amazing about it is it's this decentralized entity. So it's not just like one big world global bank. It's got all these nodes and all these different, you know, heads of a hydra all over the world. And what this leads to is this interconnected web where there is no centralized visa taking a big cut. And this has opened up a whole lot of opportunities and so much more wealth in these third world countries. And we're seeing the trend now, and we might talk about it later. Now that El Salvador's worked out, I think we can see a lot of the third world moving towards that. Does anyone else want to add on that? I don't know. I went on a bit of spiel there. I want to add on about the decentralization aspect to it, because if you think about it, is that I couldn't tell you the numbers are going to make it off the top of my head, but in El Salvador, the amount of people that actually don't have a bank is insane purely because you need to be one over the age of 18. And in El Salvador, it only makes sense if you, if you have a certain amount of money. Like if you just have a normal day job, then you're not going to save any money, you're just going to hold cash anyway. So it doesn't make sense to have a bank. So you actually can't transfer money from overseas unless you have a bank, which is a very small portion of people. Like in places like Uganda, for example, because they went mobile first, they're actually using their phone numbers as a bank. So for example, like your phone, your phone provider becomes your bank account, which is a whole different aspect. And we'll talk about another time. But I really want to focus on the decentralized aspect because no one can really block it, which has pros and cons, of course. So cons, you've probably heard Bitcoin's a scam. People use it for drugs and for anything like terrorism, yeah. terrorism, weapons. And basically, it's a black market thing. But that's the same with cash. I mean, that's the power of freedom. It's like you can use it for good things. You can use it for bad things. Right. So the power of cash is that sure, it's not tracked, but that's also the beauty of it. So if you think about cryptocurrency or let's just say Bitcoin, if I wanted to send Hunter something, no one's going to be able to stop me because I can send it peer to peer and there is no one in the middle. There's no one central entity. Instead, like as Hunter said, there's hundreds of thousands of mini computers spread all around the world that do that for us. So for example, unlike what Visa and MasterCard happened a few weeks ago, where they actually blocked all OnlyFans transactions because they didn't want to be associated with that, for Bitcoin, it doesn't matter because they say, okay, as long as two different people want to transact, will let that happen. It doesn't really matter what the content of that is. 
So that's a beauty of decentralized finance as well. For sure. I just want to add a little bit something on that um, in terms of the terror aspect and the entire, you know, like you mentioned the bit of the pornographic industry and such explicit content. Um, there's a bit of a misconception that I think we should clear off right off the bat. Um, and that is Bitcoin is an open ledger. And essentially that means as you can see all transactions, all transactions are recorded. And what authorities have actually found is a bit counterintuitive is that if someone was to buy, you know, weapons or drugs or whatever, God knows, um, using Bitcoin, it's actually way easier to track using cryptocurrency and ledger. It's a bit of a tangent here, but I thought I'd clear that up a little bit. It's, it's, that's a common misconception and it's you know it's quite sad that people think of it that way anyways go ahead yeah no i want to just also say that for example is that you could go right now onto my ethereum address if you know what it is and just look at every single ethereum transaction i've ever made and every transaction that i will make how much i hold in my ethereum address right now and for those of you that don't know ethereum is basically just another version of bitcoin we'll go into that another podcast that definitely is going to take some time to unpack but really, you can see every transaction I've made, everyone I will ever make, my balance right now, what my balance has been, and anything else that I hold in my wallet. So, Alan, did you want to mention anything else about transparency there? Yeah. So, like, we've had regulators in the US describe crypto as basically this um, shadowy group of supercoders. Um, and it's not true because of this public ledger technology. So, the way it works is that everyone has a cryptographic address. So, when I hold my crypto, I own like a wallet, a digital wallet, which has an address on it. Um, and if I make a transaction, then I can look on this public ledger and see all, all of those transactions. But it's dependent on the viewer knowing what my address is. So if I'm like a public institution, right? Say if I'm an NGO at some charity organization, I can tell everyone what my, what my address is for my digital wallet. And then it becomes fully transparent what this organization is doing. Uh, whereas if you wanted privacy, so um, not everyone like knows all your transactions and you don't have to publicize informa information of the wallet. But um, if, if we're trying to catch criminals, there's ways to kind of work it out. So for example, um, if a criminal wants to cash out and go into cash, which is much less traceable was well, basically it's very very hard to trace cash right so if if a criminal organization bought crypto and then try to turn it into cash they typically have to go through a centralized exchange um so something like CoinSpot or ftx or binance one of these exchanges and these exchanges can help authorities lo locate and track down uh criminals where we we get these cash flows that are basically coming out of nowhere yeah for sure I think maybe we've, we've covered a lot of what Bitcoin's utility is. Do we want to actually cover a little bit of the underlying technology a little bit? Like why, why is this such a big opportunity for everyone? Um, Yelan, do you want to maybe go into like what's web one, what's web two, and really what, what are we moving into in terms of this digital space? I think maybe before Elan goes into web one and web two, I really think that let's just think one more thing about a real case scenario to show the underlying technology, of course. Because, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So like, for example, let's say um, you're a citizen of like Sudan, for example, and you have the few, few dollars you have, and maybe you work on Upwork, for example. So you get on Upwork and you have a PayPal account, so you can earn foreigner money. So you can earn US money, US wages, which is what everyone, not everyone, but a large portion of the world aims to do. 
So instead of working whatever you get 50 cents or a dollar a day, you get two, five, ten dollars an hour, which is awesome for them comparatively. So for example, let's say you work on Upwork and then <laughs> you lose 10% to PayPal, of course. So like Hunter said, you lose 10% and that goes to you. Meanwhile, let's say you're using Bitcoin, someone can send you money and the fees are incredibly low. No one can block you or stop you. So no one can even stop in the way. No one knows where it came from. And it's fully transparent and visible. So everyone can see, for example, when you go and give your taxes, for example, in the future, we will be able to say, this is my address. This is every single transaction I've ever made in the past year. And you can verify that. That's one thing. Now, let's say second time it's tax season and you want to give, I don't know, your $500 of taxes to, to the tax office. Imagine the future where you can actually see where every single dollar goes. So you can see every single transaction that goes to the tax office. You can also see every dollar out. So you don't have to just assume and pretend that the government actually is telling you the truth. You can physically see on this website, on this public ledger, exactly where every single dollar is going. You can see how much is going to the actual, I don't know, the the president Scott and Morrison the, the Hawaii holiday. Exactly. And how much is going to the holiday and how much is going to like, I don't know, Formula One jet. So you like, there are so many different things the the transparency aspect, the decentralized aspect and the fearless aspect. Like a, a couple of weeks ago, there was this huge transaction. I think it was like 3.9 billion US dollars worth of Bitcoin, which is a lot of Bitcoin. I keep that in mind. The transaction fee, 19 cents. I mean, that is absolutely wow. absurd. I paid more to send my friend in Poland, hundred US dollars. Now that we've talked about that, I just want to keep that in mind. And then Elan, do you want to chat that about Web1 and Web2 real quick? Yeah, no, well, yeah, thanks for that context. Um, like, yeah, we're definitely in a system, the traditional banking system where these companies are trying to extract as much value out of every transaction as possible. But they're only extracting value if it's nine to five, Monday to Friday. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> right, um, yeah, I'll, I'll give a background as to like what this whole movement is about and how it connects with like the internet at large. So let's kind of take us back to say early 90s, uh, the 1990s, and the internet is just beginning. Before the internet, if you wanted to like send your, your friends a message, you'd send them a postcard, you'd use like the telegram or fax machine. Um, and if you wanted to learn some obscure information, you'd have to find the right book. And if your local library didn't have that book, then it would be pretty hard to, to learn that information. What the web basically did, what we call web one, the, the first version of the internet, created a means to receive, store, and send information in a free and global manner. So it just opened up so many new ways of communication. It displaced uh, the email, displaced the, the telegram and the fax machine. Um, and there's just so much information now stored over the internet. And all of that is free for everyone to use, um, except in some countries where there are some... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bands, but we, don't, we don't talk about that. <laughs> anyway, um, there was a limitation to that. So we could send, I could send you a text message, I could send you an email, but I couldn't send you money because that sort of information you could just copy and you could send it to somebody else. And all of a sudden you get inflation faster than Zimbabwe. So, you know, you could just keep copying that dollar I sent you and that dollar would essentially be worthless. Yeah, like for example, uh, and so let's say if, if I send my friend in Poland um, a screenshot, I couldn't send him like 10 screenshots of my PayPal receipt and suddenly he gets $1,000. Like that's how Web1 web would have worked. So that's the whole thing about copy paste, I think that you're mentioning as well. But this is what Web2 and Web3 
we're trying to solve as well about how there's unique different identifiers for each transaction, for example. Yeah, yeah for sure. So like information is really useful to be able to copy paste that and like send that to a friend, right? But there, there are certain applications like money. And in fact, like most things, because most things in the world are scarce, right? You can't just copy and paste them. So that's kind of like one of the limitations of that web one. Web two built on web one and we created all these services um, like Amazon, like, like e-commerce, Netflix, Spotify, all that, that build an additional layer on web one. I mean, that disrupted a huge amount of society. So many businesses um, have been changed because of that. But the traditional banking system hasn't been changed because it didn't end up disrupting money in the same way that it disrupted the brick and mortar store. So that was the innovation of Bitcoin or blockchain. So what a blockchain basically is and what, what we alluded to about this is going to the next, edges. just to clarify, this is going to the next level from these Amazons, et cetera, to this web 3.0. Yeah, right. that's right. Yeah. So I see it as kind of like the evolution of the internet, right? So now we're going to create a system that can send money over the internet. So how do we do that? How do we ensure that you can't just copy it? Well, let's have thousands of computers distributed over the globe that make a record of every transaction that anybody makes using this internet money. So if I send you a dollar now, then this, these computers will validate this transaction and make a record, okay, so Yolan sent Eamon a dollar, so Yolan doesn't have that dollar anymore, so he can't mysteriously create more money, and Eamon now has this dollar. Well, so no, you haven't. <laughs> later, later. <laughs> okay. So does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think just adding on to that a little bit in terms of like, not just the financial side, we saw, we saw web 2.0, the beginning of it. We had all these early chat forums and we had these early websites and there was an extreme freedom of expression, freedom of culture. And everyone was super excited. And it's like, this is what the internet should be, you know, free expression, free culture, whatever. And we saw a commercialization of that. And we saw these big companies like Amazon. We saw, you know, this free data, you know, like scientific papers you have to pay 40 bucks for now, you know, Ancestor, you know, days on, you know, Ancestry.com. My aunt's trying to, you know, map out our Ancestry. That costs like tons of money to get access to that data. And Web 2.0 got commercialized. But now what's really interesting, and I think a lot of people are sort of undervaluing in this whole Bitcoin space, we talked a bit about, the fundamental Bitcoin, but, and we'll talk more about this later, but there's stuff being built on top of that. And that is the infrastructure for that web 3.0 because of this blockchain, this decentralized ledger. And what's really interesting. And I think what I'm super excited about is coming back to these early chat forms, these early websites, this ease and expression of data is that it's, it's happening again. You know, and we've got this freedom that we haven't ever seen before with Bitcoin with other cryptocurrencies. And honestly, that's that's what gets me excited about it. Not just getting a fat juicy paycheck, you know, from, from smart investments, but this entire movement and freedom and digital, yeah, well, future paychecks, you know, this freedom of culture, this freedom of, you know, societal expression. I think that's really exciting. And, I fully agree. Yeah. yeah, I fully agree. Like what you're saying is that how, where Web2 was in like 2008, 2009 is kind of where we are now with Web3. So if anyone is vaguely confused and still isn't really too sure about how blockchain and cryptocurrency works, it, we're, we're still in the really early days. 
if you consider the fact that if we look at, we'll talk about NFTs later, but NFTs is a subset of blockchain and that on this one platform, there's only 5,000 active users. 5,000 is nothing. But when you look at like, I think they sold over $120 million worth in the past six months. And that's only from 5,000 people. Imagine yeah. where that's going to grow. But I also just talking- thinking about like in right, back in 2008, 2009, I was like, I, I personally like to remember that, but I can picture my parents and I asked them, they were terrified of putting their credit card number on this like random website. They're like, oh, why do I need to like put these numbers on this page? Like who's going to steal it? It's like, oh, who's watching? It's like, and now you just do it without even thinking about it. You probably have your credit card number memorized by the times you, you've done it. It's probably like already auto-filled in from Google. So Google already knows everything anyway. So everyone's kind of trusting everything now. But if you think about 2008, or 2009, those early web forums, everyone could have written absolutely whatever they wanted. So it was similar to how like decentralized social media was back then. Even though it wasn't fully decentralized, it was more a freedom of expression. But now it's we're going more towards a financial aspect. It's more of a freedom of transacting. So you can give money to everyone and to anyone you want, however you want. But what happened in 2008, 2009, you can say what you want, when you want. It's like trying to compare MySpace to Facebook, like sure, the ideas behind them are the same, but it's like, we're in the MySpace days of cryptocurrency. We're still early and there's some awesome projects out there. And they, I feel like there's going to be some huge development over the next few years to really watch out for. Yeah, for sure. I think maybe we should wrap up a little bit on that point because uh, we've covered a lot of the general information, but I think what it, the main key takeaway from probably this episode of our podcast is, is that cryptocurrency isn't just speculative gambling it's not just, you know, a means to use, you know, for explicit content or transactions that lead to terror activities, et cetera. It's an entire movement that it doesn't matter if, you know, I'm doing engineering, you know, we're, we're, we're doing science. It doesn't matter if you're in arts. It doesn't matter if you're, you're doing music. It doesn't matter if you're in politics. The technology here is something that I think we all get a little bit of a slice of, Uh, you know, it's, there's a piece of the pie for all of us. And, it's super exciting. Um, and hopefully if college crypto, we can make some of these, um, you know, concepts about cryptocurrency and the digital economy a little bit more accessible to you. So when, you know, you hear about crypto on the news on, Fo- I don't, I don't know why you listen to Fox news. It's an interesting choice, not dissing it, but if you listen to Fox news, et cetera, and they bring up cryptocurrencies, you can be like, okay, I know a bit about that. And just starting this conversation that's beyond you know, just this investment and showing what the fundamentals can really do for the individual. I think that's super inspiring. And I can't wait. I, I don't know too much, but I can't wait, wait to share what I know and really have great conversations with you guys. You say um, you don't know too much, but that's probably because you're listening to like Russia Today or Al Jazeera. If you're listening to Fox News, you'd know so much more. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. Russia All right. Today, um, level. I mean, we've, we've covered what Bitcoin is and we covered some of the issues in traditional finance, but we we're still yet to talk about Ethereum, NFTs, and the huge amount of things that's happening there that in my mind is actually a lot more interesting than simply internet money. So stay tuned. We've got lots of great content coming up. You so do, yeah, and a lot more money to come in, hopefully. Not financial advice, financial opinion. A lot of Fox News, Fox News opinions to be spread. All right, thank you guys right. for listening, and we'll wrap it up there, and see you guys in the next episode of the College Crypto Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, College Crypto. Lead us feedback. Lead us feedback Please as well. Do.